Matthew 6. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 19, but I'm actually going to be just teaching on one verse, verse 34, but I want to give some context because this is the Sermon on the Mount. Today, um, I want to talk about worry. Um, recently, Stephen Colbert in his, in his uh, late night talk show uh, had Oprah on um, recently, and, um, and they were sharing their favorite Bible verses with each other, like you do on national talk shows. And, um, and Colbert said that his favorite Bible verse is right here in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 6, verse 25, right here in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, it's my favorite Bible verse because it's a command by Jesus not to worry. It's a command. He goes, I always think about that when I worry, that I'm commanded not to worry. So whenever I worry, I just sin. I'm like, oh, I just sinned. I'm not, I'm not supposed to worry. <laughs> so I want to look at this part uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. I've been uh, meditating on the Sermon on the Mount for some time now, especially over the last couple months. And this verse has stuck out to me, and I've just found it a bit strange in verse 34. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about it today. Um, not necessarily super profound this morning. It's just, I think, might be something for us to live into, especially as we go into Advent and the holidays. Um, for context, let's back up to verse 19. Talk a little bit, of, uh, just read through this. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago in our Heaven series, and then get to verse 34. Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Some of your translations say a single inch to your stature. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon from the Old Testament, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Not even him. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I just don't think that ends well, but uh, let's pray. I just want to talk about this. <laughs> it was great until that last verse. Okay. Lord, um, I ask this morning that you would lead us. I, I pray that you would teach us, be our teacher this morning, God. I ask, God, that we would be uh, trained in kingdom living this morning, that there be um, things about you, the scriptures and what you want to speak um, 
to us through them and how we respond in second set of worship and communion and prayer and that um, form us in the kind of, kind of people that are like living into your kingdom here, especially as we move into a really busy season of the holidays and a really busy season of um, just what our, 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 just our nation considers like just this spending and buying and getting and more and more and more, all this stuff. Would you calm our souls and slow us down and allow us to live today with you? Would you anoint me, use me, Lord? I desperately need your help. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. This last week, I was on um, social media going through my feed, and I saw this like um, thing from uh, Christianity Today, which is a magazine, and it said, the best CC album, CCM album turns 20. Now, CCM is short for Contemporary Christian Music. I think the second you call something contemporary, it's not contemporary, but whatever. Um, Contemporary Christian music, which is a genre of music that isn't that popular today, but was huge in the late 90s and early 2000s. And it said the best Christian, contemporary Christian album of all time terms 20. So I clicked on it, I'm like, whoa, what is that? And if you grew up in church, you will remember this album. It probably came out somewhere where you were in junior high, maybe high school. It's called Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Oh my gosh. You know this album. Okay. So I get online, I start listening to, look at that, it's just, oh my gosh. Um, I start listening to this album again. I'm like, okay, I haven't listened to this album in years. So I start listening to it. And it brought me back to, when it came out when I was a junior high pastor, and it reminded me of when I had a goatee and wore carpenter jeans. Um, and... Um, so I listened to the song, Jesus Freak, which is like the song, right? And Christianity Today says it's like the best, one of the best Christian, contemporary Christian music songs of all time. And I listened to it and I realized a couple of things. I re- first of all, I realized it's basically a rip-off version of Smells Like Teen Spirit, but that has nothing to do with what I'm saying. <laughs> but a lyric caught my attention, because I've been thinking about this for a while. A lyric caught my attention. And I can't believe I'm going to quote Jesus Freak in a sermon <laughs> in 2015, but I'm going to. It says, and you might know it, but don't sing it. Please don't. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> feels so dumb. Um, okay, it says, people say I'm strange. Does it make me a stranger? You know the rest. That my best friend was born in a manger. Now, if you're like, were lyrics really that bad? Yes, they were that bad then. <laughs> but there's this idea that Jesus, um, by the way, Jesus was the one born in the manger, right? So you guys know, like Jesus' is best friend manger rhymes with stranger, and um, <laughs> this idea of Jesus in, in the, in the like late, late 90s, early 2000s, this idea of Jesus as our best friend was very popular. I mean, every youth group had like a drama team, and they would always act out this drama of Jesus being your best friend, and then there is this ghastly idea of dating Jesus. I don't know where that came from, and when you wanted to break up with your boyfriend for no reason, you'd go, I'm really going to date Jesus for a while. And then Urban Outfitters jumped in on this, um, and they took this whole Jesus is my friend thing and made Jesus my homeboy shirts. And if you remember this shirt, it worn ironically by hipsters everywhere when this shirt came out. Now, this whole idea of Jesus is my friend, Jesus is my homeboy, I date Jesus, is like a way of seeing Jesus. And there are different ways to see Jesus. There are helpful ways to see Jesus and thus interact with him or relate to Jesus. 
Um, and there are some not so helpful ways. Like, I think those are not that helpful. Um, a helpful way is like Jesus is Savior and Lord. And we know this pretty well, well enough. That's a very biblical idea of who Jesus is and how he relates to us. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. And I think that Savior and Lord, seeing Christ as Savior and Lord is good. And it's right. And it's true. And it's biblical. But there's a missing piece that, um, uh, to who Jesus is that I think we need to recapture. And this is it's this idea that Jesus is a teacher or Jesus is our teacher. This is very important, especially in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew puts a huge chunk of Jesus' teachings in the front called the Sermon on the Mount. And in order to say this, to follow Jesus is to live into this teaching of his. Jesus came teaching. He came teaching how to live, how to be human, how to live in right relationship with God, how to live in right relationship with others. Jesus came teaching his interpretation uh, and fulfillment of Torah or the law and the prophets or what we would call the Old Testament. Jesus came as the authoritative teacher of the people of God. Jesus is the author authoritative and authoritative teacher of the people of God. He is our teacher. And so when you turn to the Sermon on the Mount, which is, I believe, the most important and beautiful collection of Jesus' teachings, we would do well to commit our, like maybe our, the rest of our lives into learning how to obey the, just the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, the, the people that follow Jesus, the disciples of Christ, the ones that are following Jesus, we learn there how to be true Christ followers, how to have enemy love. That's not just a thing. That's a real thing for a Jesus follower. How to have sexual purity and live in a sexual purity. How to do what we say we're going to do. Practicing our prayer and fasting before God, not for the approval of other people. Like all these things we learn in the Sermon on the Mount. And then the way the Sermon on the Mount ends is by Jesus saying, those who obey his teaching, those who obey this collection of teachings are like a wise person who build their house on a rock, on a solid, firm foundation. And those who disobey or don't put into practice the, 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 the teachings of Jesus are a foolish person who builds his house on the sand. And then the winds came and the waves broke. And then the, 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 the life that's built on the sand, when difficult times arise, and they will arise. Your house will either crumble or it will stand. And it all has to do with what you do with Jesus' teachings. So when Jesus talks about worry, he is teaching us how we are to deal with worry. He's teaching us. He's a teacher on this subject. He's not simply offering us cute stories or platitudes or chicken soup for the soul. We don't read this and go, ooh, that's, ooh, yeah, that. We have to do what it says. Like, we have to live into it. These are, these are Jesus teaching us how to live in this way. He's teaching us how to live without worry. So what does Jesus teach about worry? Well, I said there's something real peculiar that happens at the very end of this section. I, I will read this, and I think it's beautiful, but when, I, and I've read this for years, whenever I get to verse 34, I always like, that's just weird. It just doesn't end right. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. You're like, yes, the birds and the lilies. and Oh, yeah, for tomorrow will worry about itself. I'm like, wait, what? Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's how it ends. It's like after all the talk of the birds and the lilies and how we can trust our heavenly father, it ends like this. And it doesn't feel that comforting. He's like, don't worry about tomorrow because, I mean, it's going to be crazy tomorrow. And you can't even deal with that. You can barely deal with today. Like, today has enough trouble. 
as, like, if the present is so bad, why do you want to go and meet the future? And it's like, well, that's not comforting at all. Like that, how that ends, it doesn't help me. Jesus is saying that worry here, is what he's saying, that worry has power. Worry has power. Worry almost has a personal power. It's personified almost. We can, it, uh, worry can actually like take on personal power and take a hold of you. And in spite of yourself, it can argue with you. Worry can argue with you. It can say one thing and then you can answer it back and then it can say another thing. Have you ever experienced this? Like verse 31, Jesus says, so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It's like worry is the one saying those things. And worry will answer back when you give it an answer. Like if you say, I'm not going to worry about what I'll eat when I go to that thing. I'm just not going to worry about it. Worry will answer you back. Worry will say, well, what if they serve something you can't eat? Well, what if they serve something that will make you fat? Well, what if they don't end up serving anything at all? Then you'll be hungry, and then it'll be late, and then you might have a drink, and then you're not drinking one stuff. And then you start doing this thing, and worry wants to fight with you all the time, and worry answers you back. Like, you don't want to worry about what to wear. I'm not going to worry about what I'm going to wear today. And then worry talks back to you. But aren't those pants really uncomfortable when you have to sit all day? Didn't you wear that last week around that same group of people? Doesn't wearing that outfit make you look like you're trying a little too hard? Worry does this all the time. I'm not going to worry about that thing. And worry goes, maybe you should worry about that thing. And if, let's just say, if you get, if you get today down somehow, then worry will step in and go into the future and try to pull that worry back into the present. This is what worry does. If you have things settled today, it will go forward to that meeting It'll go forward to that interaction. It'll go forward to that, that like perceived need and pull that need in today if somehow you figured out today. Worry can even have an imagination where it can envision all sorts of possibilities. One, one commentator, a beautiful book on the Sermon on the Mount called Studies in the Sermon on the Mount by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he writes this. He says, and he was a, he was a medical doctor and a pastor. He said, Worry can envision strange eventualities. And with its terrible power and activity, it can transport us into the future and into a situation that is yet to come. And there we find ourselves worried and troubled and borne down by something which is purely imaginary. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, well, are you saying that I'm not supposed to plan anything then? Are you saying I'm supposed to live in the now, just live in the moment, and not plan anything? And I, ne- I never said that. Jesus never said don't plan. Jesus said look at the birds. Look at the birds. Consider the birds. He says they don't worry. The heavenly Father feeds them. But if you actually do consider the birds, they do kind of plan, right? They make nests. They build nests. They hatch and incubate their young. They move south for the winter. Some of them do, not all of them. I wish pigeons did, but they don't. (laughs) But a lot of them move south for the winter or warmer climates. But what Jesus is saying is that they don't worry, though. They might plan. They don't worry. So how does Jesus deal with this problem of worry, this problem of the power of worry? How does Jesus deal with the problem of the power of worry? Well, first, assuming... Keep, keep that up right for a second. Assuming that you are storing your treasure in heaven and not on earth. You have to assume that because 
the Sermon on the Mount builds on each other. I, I hate that the Sermon on the Mount has all these chapter breaks and like section breaks. I wish it was just one thing because it all builds on each, other, on each other. You can't get to verse 25, I tell you not to worry because there's a therefore there. It says, therefore, I tell you not to worry, which means there's all the stuff before it that, that Jesus is concluding. He's like, I want you not to worry, but you won't understand what that means unless you go forward and like build your treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Assuming that you are storing your treasure in heaven and not on earth. Assuming that you are choosing to serve God and not money. You, you can serve God or money. You could build your treasure in heaven and on earth. Your eye can be full of light or darkness. Assuming that you're storing your treasure in heaven, that your eye is full of light, and that you are serving God, not money, and assuming that you're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. This means assuming that you're orienting your entire life toward God. Assuming that this, I mean, this is what discipleship looks like. This is what following Jesus looks like. It's obeying Jesus' teachings. And not obeying Jesus' teachings as law, but obeying Jesus' teachings as a way. And this is why Jesus uses stories and examples and hyperbole in the Sermon on the Mount, because he shows us a way of living. Not a law of living, but a way of living. Assuming that this is happening. This is how Jesus says, this is how you deal with the problem of worry. Take life one day at a time. Okay, so now listen. This isn't a platitude. This is our teacher, Jesus, giving us an authoritative instruction. So this isn't like, guys, live one day at a time. Jesus is like, no, the, the only way you combat worry, after you've, you've, you've oriented your lives towards heaven, and after you've, 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 you've um, not served uh, money but God, and after you've sought first the kingdom, you have to live every day, one day at a time. This isn't really profound. I just think we're not really good at this. I'm not good at this. I've been thinking about the children of Israel for a while and how they were, they were fed as they wandered in the wilderness. They were fed by God manna every day from heaven, manna. And no one really knows what manna means. Manna literally means in like, well, what is this? Like, I don't, they didn't know what it was. It was just like spongy bread stuff. It came out of heaven and they ate it every day. And they, they were given it every single day. Now, if you're smart, you'd go, well, I could go every day and get it or I can get a bunch of it and store it and then I'll have it for a couple days so I don't have to go to work every day. But they tried to do that and turn rotten. You have to get it every day except for Sabbath. Every day. I've been thinking about that. They had to go out there every day. I've been thinking about how Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Thinking about Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet in the Old Testament, he wrote a book called Lamentations, which is basically a lament, and he laments, and he says that his food is gravel, and his bones are, he's just crying out to God, but he says, I will remember this. I'm going to remember this. this is, I'm going to remember this and have hope. This is where my hope comes from. It's in the middle of all of my lament, and all of my troubles, and all of my woes, and all of my sorrows, and he had a lot of sorrow. He just saw his whole nation being taken from him. And he says this in verse 22 in chapter 3, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. 
You get fresh mercy each morning, daily bread each morning. I've been thinking about how Jesus said that each day has enough trouble. It seems that God would want us to live in present communion and connection and dependence on him daily. It would seem that God goes, I'm going to give you fresh mercies to match fresh troubles. And that's how I'm going to do it. And you can't like store up for yourself. You have to actually come to me every single day. So you can't live off what happens today, tomorrow. You can't live off this church service tomorrow. Tomorrow, you'll need Jesus all over again. You can't wake up tomorrow and go, I went to church yesterday. I feel really good. I might re-listen to that podcast or the one from a couple weeks ago. That was really good. You can't do that. You need Jesus fresh that day to meet the troubles of that day, the worries of that day, because every day will have trouble and worry of its own. And so that morning, you wake up and you need fresh mercies to meet those fresh troubles. See, Jesus is like a minimalist. He's not a hoarder which I really appreciate. You don't get to stockpile and bottle what happens today. You, don't, you get enough for today, and then you have to return to him again tomorrow. You get enough for today, and then you return to him again tomorrow. He has made it this way. Jesus says that this is the answer to worry. You actually can't go into tomorrow and start worrying about it, even though worry will want to take you there. You actually have to deal with today, and you will have worry today. And Jesus said you will have worry. You're going to actually have worry today. And what, the way I want you not to worry is to come to me every day, to trust in me every day, like a bird would, like the, the, a hillside full of lilies would, like trust that I have provision, trust that I'm good, trust that I care, and do that every single day. This daily discipline of opening our heart to God in dependence and awareness is a cure for worry, and it has a lot of wisdom to it. I mean, I think this also makes common sense. This is, this, is, this is common sense. Again, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the result of worrying about the future is that you are crippling yourself in the present. You are lessening your efficiency with regard to today, and thereby you are reducing your whole efficiency with regard to, the fu- to that future which is coming to meet you. In other words, worry is something that is due to an entire failure to understand the nature of life in this world. This is how God has designed it. That life in this world happens one day at a time. And Jesus is saying that Christianity is a daily affair. It's every single day awaking and arising to Christ. And not looking at yesterday's stuff, yesterday's problems, yesterday's good, whatever. It's today. So a couple of things, what to do with this, a couple of things to do with this. The first thing is that next year, we are starting something called the Year of Biblical Literacy. And you've heard me talking about it a few times. You've heard uh, the community group leaders talk about it. They've been meeting about this. Basically, next year, we're going to be reading through the Bible in a year. That's a lot of reading. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but it actually does take a lot of reading to read through the Bible in a year. It takes... Oh, I mean, it takes some, depends on how fast you read. It takes something between 20, to an, 20 minutes to an hour to read every day to get through the Bible in a year. That's a lot. You're like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to find that time. 
And then we're doing, on top of that, we're doing these like little video things with, through the Bible Project that kind of walk us through what every book means before we start to read it. So when we step into Romans and we're like, we kind of lost our place. Where are we at in the story? What's going on here? You watch this like short little video that, that gets your bearings, like points to true north and knows where you're at and maps it all out. And this is where you're going. Oh, I understand it. So when you read it, you understand, you actually comprehend. Now, this is a good thing. It's good that we, that, that, and we really believe that we need to, to know how to read and understand the Bible. That's a thing that's lacking, I think, in this, um, this generation a bit. But there's also a worry that I have attached to this. Again, me worrying about the future is a thing, and I know I'm submitting it to God, but this is something that is a caution. We could get puffed up with knowledge. We could be the church that said, I read through the Bible in a year and I know everything, which is just stupid, but we can, we can still think that way. And we get puffed up with knowledge and not formed in love if we're not careful. This is why the daily reading that we're going to be asking our church to do next year is not just about reading. It's not just about, I'm going to get through these four chapters of the Bible or whatever. It's not like I'm going to watch these videos. It's not about the reading or the watching. It's about opening your mind and your heart to God every day. That's what it's ultimately about. It's about being formed by the very practice of reading the Bible. So yes, we want to know the Bible, understand the scriptures and how to live and what Jesus taught and how to read the entire, the entire canon of scripture. We want to know all of that stuff, but it's so that we might every single day open our minds and our hearts to God. And so what that might look like for you is this. There might be a day, let's say two months into this daily thing that you just discipline. You're like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna read. There might, let's say two months into this, this project, you forget, you, you, somehow you're like, I don't have my Bible on me, I don't have my phone on me, I'm trapped on a desert island and I can't read the Bible today. Okay, let's say that. We hope that you would be and I would be oriented in such a way that we would still know how to wake up in the discipline of opening our minds and our hearts to God. That's what we hope happens. We hope that after this year, you are oriented in such a way that you wake up and go, I'm going to open my heart and my mind to God today. Every single day. Today, fresh trouble, fresh mercy. Today, lead me. Today, be with me. That's, this is, it's formative. The very act of reading this is formative. See, the goal of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is to be the kind of person so connected to God that you're able to meet your future with trust and open-handedness to God. That God wants the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount all the way up until the do not worry part to be the kind of person that when you enter into your future, you'd have the capacity to meet your future with trust in God. That whatever happens, you get the worst news at your office and you know how, you're oriented in such a way to turn to God and trust today. That you turn to God with open-handedness today. That you would be that kind of person. That you wouldn't meet it with anger or even more anxiety or more worry or make a rash decision, but that you would stop and orient yourself to go, I I'm, I'm opening, God, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what this has to do with my future, but I know... You can work, you're working into this and you're working out of this. I want to pray against evil. I want to pray against wrongdoing. I want to pray against my reaction. Like that sort of stuff. You're that kind of person. The second thing I'll say is, and this is more of a clarification or maybe even a retraction, but I think more of a clarification of something that I said a few weeks ago. I made a comment or an application 
about marriage a few weeks ago and how some of you will not marry and should consider giving your life as a single person to service to God, in service to God. And I got a lot of feedback from that comment. (laughs) A lot. Um, Thank you. Thank you for that. First, I guess I want to say this. I'm sorry. I've said that exact same thing before. The exact same thing before and with literally zero feedback or negative feedback. So, I probably should have done a better job setting the context better for saying that. And I'm sorry. And I should have pastored you better by saying, if you are not married and you really want to be married, there is grace for you today. That's how I I, I should have pastored you. There's grace for you today. There is peace for that dissonance you feel inside today. God is able to meet that dissonance today. What about tomorrow? What about I'm about to turn 30? Or what about I'm about to turn 35? What's the plan? I'm about to visit my parents for the holidays and I have to tell them something this year. What do I say? (laughs) Say that God has offered you grace today, mercy today, peace today to match the trouble for today. Day, this daily walk with God, this daily life with God, today. And when we think about the future, and we're like, but what if then, and what if I never, or what if I, the wrong, or what if today? This is the trust that God wants today. It's, it's really, um, Jesus talks about a childlike faith, not a childish faith, but a childlike faith. This childlike trust in God, like today. God, I'll trust you today for this. Now, what about tomorrow, though? What about tomorrow? Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Tomorrow, you'll meet with the same Jesus who will offer you fresh presence and mercy then. You are, you'll meet tomorrow the same Jesus that you met today. The, the Jesus that's full of grace and truth. The Jesus that still will call you to deny yourself, that will still call you to to enemy love, that will still call you to holiness, that will still call you to mercy, that will still say to you, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. That same Jesus you'll meet today and you'll meet him tomorrow because he's the same. It's the same Jesus that says this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That same Jesus. I want to close by reading Philippians. Um, Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison being persecuted for the faith. And he said this to the church in Philippi. At the end of his letter in Philippians 4, it's not on the screen, I'm just going to read it to you. Philippians 4, 6. He says, and it's a very popular verse, but look, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It, it's, really, it's really crazy. 
that, Jesus, that Paul here gives a command, and he says, and this is what you're now to do. This is what you're not to do, and this is what you are to do. Don't be anxious, but here's how you press into if you're feeling anxious. Prayer, which is exposing your worry to God. Consciously turning your mind to God, your heart to God. This is how I'm worrying. And then petition, ask God. Make a petition. Make a request. And then do it with thanksgiving as you present your request to God. Do it with thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this and this. Find things to be thankful for in the midst of it. And verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of, it's just so crazy that peace guards that word guard is like this military word. Like it literally means like it'll, it'll fight for you. Peace will fight for you. The peace of God will fight for you when you make your prayer, your petitions with thanksgiving known to God. Church, as you guys, as we together move into a very, a very hard time for a lot of us during Advent, Thanksgiving, moving into Christmas, moving into the new year, a lot of us. And a lot of the stuff that we've put off since January, we have, we have some space to deal with in December, and we don't like it. You might have heard John Mark's teaching last week on Sabbath, and you're like, I'm going to do that, and you did it this week, and it was like with the worst day of your life. <laughs> you're like, I felt just so uneasy. I felt like all these things came up. I felt like all this worry. I felt like all the stuff I've stuffed down came up. That, all of that is good. As you as this stuff comes up in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And may the peace of God, which transcends understanding, guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.